0: Well, stay standing for another moment and take your Bibles. And now let's open them together. That song you will probably recognize refers to a particular event in the life of Christ. And we're going to be looking at that event this morning as we continue looking through Mark's gospel. We'll read from Mark chapter 6 this morning and we'll read verses 30 through 44. As Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people. And he will feed us this morning through his word. Verse 30 says The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Dear Lord, we we thank you for your word. Dear Lord, we thank you for your provision of which it speaks this day. We pray, Father, now that you would um, speak to us through your word. We pray, Lord, that we would have ears to hear and eyes to see. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, this morning, beloved, we come to one of the most well-known miracles in the entire ministry of Jesus. Every child who has ever, for any length of time, or adult who has sat in a Sunday school class, or any child who has had a book on the stories about Jesus read to them, has heard this story, has heard this event, how Jesus fed 5,000 people, and more actually, with five loaves of bread and two fish. And it is indeed a great miracle, one of the greatest miracles of our Lord. It's a great miracle with many connections to other events in the Bible. We'll see that this morning. Reading this account brings the mind of the Biblically uh, attuned hearer to other events in the Bible. Events that happened before this one and after this one. An account, I might add, that points or that we in which we see its importance to the early church by noting the fact that it is the only miracle other than the resurrection of Christ that is recorded in all four of the gospels Matthew Mark and Luke and John. We're also going to see that this record contributes substantially to one of the questions that Mark has been asking and really answering as he has been going through and writing this gospel. And that's the question, who is Jesus? Who is this one? The people have asked that. Who is this one that has this authority? Who is this one that brings this teaching? Who is this one that even the wind and the waves obey him? We'll see more of that today. And answer, the answer that it gives is that Jesus is the one who has compassion on others and who, in demonstrating that compassion, demonstrates the goodness of God toward his people and demonstrates his own guidance and provision for them particularly Jesus as the God-sent shepherd who came as the good shepherd to lay down his life for the sheep. Now, there are a few different ways that we could um, outline this passage, but I want us to focus here on the compassion of Christ. And in this, uh, we, in this passage this morning, we see two different Aspects of that, and we'll look at them this morning. First, briefly, we'll look at the shepherd's compassion on the 12, his apostles, and then we'll look more broadly at the shepherd's compassion on the crowd that takes in the story. So, first is compassion on the 12. Remember, and hopefully you're keeping your Bibles out as we look through this, in verse 30, we've mentioned verse 30 uh, a few weeks ago because verse 30 picks up the end of a story, a story that was set aside back earlier in the chapter in verse 13 where Mark had begun a story and then he sets it aside in order to insert, and we looked at this story last Sunday, the record of the death of John the Baptist at the hands of Herod, that wicked ruler of the area of Galilee. And Jesus, out of all of those whom he had called to himself, and this is the beginning of the story that we're going to pick up now, he had chosen 12. 12 men that he also called, Mark says, apostles. Men that were set aside specifically by Jesus to be his formal emissaries, to be his representatives, the ones that he would send out with his authority. And he did that. In verse 7 of chapter 6, he had sent them out for the first time on their own. He sent them out to their surrounding villages to preach, to preach there concerning the kingdom of God. And he had delegated to them, remember, the authority to heal the sick and to cast out demons as a way of validating them as Jesus' representatives and validating the message that they preached. And that, Jesus having sent them out and them beginning their work, that's where Mark left them. As he paused to give the record of the forerunner of Christ, also called by God to preach and to point people to Jesus, he paused to give the record of, of him, John the Baptist, paying that high cost that he paid for his faithful discharge of his duty of that calling that God had given to him. And Mark inserts that story into the middle of this story that we're looking at as an object lesson to his readers of how high the cost of discipleship may be. But when he comes to verse 30, then Mark picks up that main storyline. Verse 30 says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Now, no doubt there was much for them to report, good and, and bad, reports of, of, of acceptance and of rejection. Remember, Jesus told them to be ready for that. And so they give a report uh, later in the gospel when Jesus will send out 72 Of his disciples on a similar task. When they return, as they give their report, we get a little detail because they rejoiced that even the demons were subject to them in Christ's name, they say in Luke 10:17. But notice here the report that they give, that the twelve give to Jesus, is a report on what they had done and what they had taught. The report on their activity, the report on their, their message, what they had preached, what had happened. By the way, before we go any further, perhaps we should pause here for just a moment to be reminded each and every one of us, brothers and sisters, that every one of us will also have to give a report. We will all have to give an account of how we have handled the stewardship that God has given to us We've all been given gifts. We've all been given situations. We've all been given a church. We've all been given a family. We've all been given a situations where we are called to exercise the gifts that God has given to us. And Romans 14, 12 reminds us that each of us will give an account of himself to God. And here the apostles give an account of their work to Jesus. And no doubt for the 12 They're going out. They were sent out, remember, two by two, as Mark had reported. They go out on their own, and it had an effect on them. And one of the effects that it had on them, certainly, was that it just physically tired them out. They were worn out. The end of verse 31 tells us that even as they come and as they report here that many were coming and going and that they had no leisure even to eat. And that's nothing new, is it? We've seen this on several occasions in Mark's gospel uh, so far. If you sit down and read, um, we take these in little chunks, but if you sit down and read these first six chapters all together, you'll get an idea of the rigors of ministry, primarily on Jesus, but remember that his disciples were called to be with him uh, and, and to learn from him and to be trained One example is chapter 3, verse 20, that says the crowds gathered again so that they could not even eat. And we see that sort of thing over and over, even when they try to get away for a time apart. The crowds see them, the crowds come, the crowds um, want to see Jesus, want to receive from Jesus, receive healing. And he does, and he has compassion on them. He always shows people compassion, he never runs from it. And so here Jesus now shows compassion on his disciples by calling them away for a sort of leadership retreat, a rest, a respite. He says, "There come away by yourselves, just them with him, to a desolate place," he says. They're going to get out of town. Get out of the hustle and the bustle to somewhere away from all of that for a while. And, he says, to rest for a while. To rest and and be refreshed by being with Christ. And Jesus himself knew the importance of that. Because he felt as well the the weariness that was a part of the, the ongoing ministry As true man as Jesus was, he was subject to weariness and to fatigue as well as his disciples. And it points to his compassion that he looks to the needs of his disciples and he offers them a time of rest. And so verse 31 says that he says that to them. Verse 32 then says that they went away. They leave for this time. They leave for this retreat. They're not going far They're not going all the way across the lake. They're just going to go a ways down the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Just far enough to get away and to get to a a, a place apart from anywhere else. A desolate place, it says. Luke tells us that they go near to Bethsaida. So just a little ways, a few miles from Capernaum where they probably are. But also, as Jesus knew so well, and as the disciples were learning, the best laid plans of rest and relaxation do not always work out the way you plan. And Mark tells us the disciples' getaway didn't go unnoticed. In verse 33, it says, Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them these people who have been coming and going as mark says the crowds who were following jesus they see jesus and the disciples getting in to their boat and as the course that jesus and the disciples are taking is not far across the lake it's just right there along the shore they would have put out far enough and just followed the coastline up to where they were going and as they do the people can see them and the crowd a growing crowd decide that they're going to follow. They run alongside the shore. Mark says they come from all the towns, all the areas, the villages around there, and they follow them, seeing, watching where they plan, where they turn the boat and start to come into the shore. And they meet them there. It says there that they got there ahead of them. The crowds were there ready, waiting for Jesus. And now to be honest, that that image strikes me as slightly comical. The weary disciples get into the boat to try to get away, and when they come back into the shore, here are the people waiting for them. Now, I'm thinking, though, that the disciples didn't see any humor in that. They were tired. They were expecting a time away. But Jesus is unfazed. Look at verse 34. It says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. He had compassion on them. And that's the second thing that we were going to see is the shepherd's compassion on the crowd. And this is really the point here is that Jesus had compassion on them. Again, nothing new. At every turn when the crowds come interrupting whatever Jesus may be doing, whatever he may be teaching his disciples, he always has compassion on the people. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't say, go away, make an appointment for some other time. He has compassion on them, and he ministers to them these crowds and such is the case here and The word compassion" here is, is kind of interesting it 's a word that comes from it comes from from Hebrew and from the, the ancient Near Eastern idea, a word that 's translated guts or bowels even so it refers to being affected inwardly by something or by someone, to have great sympathy or pity for someone so much that you feel it. And it's a word that is used in only two contexts in the New Testament. First, primarily, it is used of Jesus in several places, that he has compassion, this kind of of inward compassion on those, this pity on those. And the other context is in the parables that Jesus tells that teach these kinds of things. Ladies, I know you, you just looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan in your study last week. Well, this word is the word that Jesus uses as he tells this parable to explain the compassion that the Samaritan had for the man who had been robbed and beaten and left for dead. And it's what Jesus feels here for the crowd the crowd who has run to be with him. And why does he have compassion on them? Well, because, Mark writes here, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus saw them. He saw who they were. He saw the condition that they were in, that they were lost, that they were wandering. They were without an anchor for their souls. And so Jesus Reaction to the, the sight of this huge crowd that is has come and is probably still uh, gathering as those who don't run as fast were still coming along. His reaction is that he had compassion on them and therefore at the end of the verse he says that he began to teach them many things. That's how he expresses his compassion on the people. He began to teach them. He deals with them as a shepherd by guiding them. He began to teach them things, uh, things about the kingdom of God. Before, Before he feeds them with bread and fish, he feeds them with his word. And that's the response of divine compassion on lost people. Because the words of God, the words of Christ are the words of life. Luke says that he spoke to them of the kingdom of God. This is also something that we should remember, that that is the primary task of every under-shepherd of Christ, whether it's the disciples then or pastors today. That is the purpose, that is the job of pastors in the church today. Not to be administrators, not to be CEOs, not to be uh, speakers of of great eloquence. Interesting that I stumble as I say that. But his job is to teach the people God's word. Jesus told Peter three times. They're right at the end of the Gospel of John. When Peter says, you know I love you. Jesus asked him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter says, I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. That's the work of a pastor. And here Jesus is doing just that, as the great shepherd of the sheep. Out of his compassion for the crowd, he's teaching them his word. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And we know what, that, what that's about. We've all heard many times about how necessary it is for physical sheep to have a shepherd. How sheep will just wander. How they will follow one another off a cliff, one after the other, after the other, after the other. If a shepherd's not there, to to stop them, to lead them, to show them where to go, to eat if food is scarce particularly. All the more so in, in spiritual matters. But when Mark says here that Jesus began to teach them many things that word can be that says many things there can also be translated that he taught them at length. And Mark tells us that whichever of those is the correct way to look at that, eventually the time wore on. Whether Jesus is telling them lots of things or he's just speaking for a long time, the time got away, not away from him, but got later in the day. Verse 35 says, When it grew late, his disciples came to him. And said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Again, you have this awkward situation of the disciples instructing the Master. Now, that could be either from just a, a good reflection of a desire to not have the people sitting there being hungry, or maybe... It's frustration from them that their leadership retreat has turned into another ministry opportunity. Maybe they're just anxious to get to the retreat part, which, by the way, as we read on, we will see doesn't happen. But they say to Jesus, we need to let these people go. We need to let them leave so they can go get something to eat. We're in the middle of nowhere kind of, Jesus, and it's getting late. Jesus, send them away. And Jesus has already been teaching the crowd. Now he's going to teach his disciples. He's going to teach them more regarding the love and the compassion of Christ for people and about the way of ministry. And he's going to to give us, readers of Mark's gospel, another brick in that wall of that answer to the question, Who is Jesus? And so when they say this to Jesus, Jesus answers them in a most unexpected way. In verse 37, Mark writes, But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus says, You feed them as under-shepherds. You know, because that's one of the things, one of the main actions taken by a shepherd of physical sheep is to feed them. Again, they need to be taken or at least directed to places where the food is. And as Jesus has been feeding these sheep with spiritual food, now he directs his disciples, his apostles, to feed them physically. But they say, well, there's a problem here, Jesus. There isn't any food. We don't have anything to give them. Should we... Are you saying that we should go buy some? How are we going to buy so much for so many people? Even if we we bought 200 denarii, that's like over half a year's wages for a common day laborer. Even if we were to spend all of that money, it's not going to be enough for all of these that are gathered here. And the disciples, as they often do, and as we often do, look at the negative. Look at the obstructions. Look at it. it was Yoda who said, always with you what cannot be done. That's the way we are. Always with us what cannot be done. What's the problems? And we focus there. That's the disciples, just as it is us. So Jesus will now instruct them further and minister to the crowd and demonstrate who he is. Verse 38 says that he said to them, how many loaves do you have? What do you have? What, what do we start with? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, Five. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And then Jesus, who is unfazed by the, the paucity of the resources, takes action. And first he tells them to instruct the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. That's verse 39 or as God promised his people in Ezekiel 34, he said, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture, and they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself, he said, will be the shepherd of the sheep. So he instructs them in this, and you know the story. Like I said, you've heard it. Let's read it, uh, verse 40. So so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The story we know. Let me just point out a few things about this record here. The story of this meal, this picnic with the Good Shepherd. Before we take a step back, I want to take a step back after this and see sort of what's going on here. And what other things are playing into this but just a few of the things here from the text. The first interesting thing has to do with how Mark has placed this story where he has and in this recurring structure of the sandwich that we've talked about, what he uses for the filling of this sandwich. So how Mark has placed the story of this meal, this picnic with with God, and it's right after the repulsive record of the death of John the Baptist and the context there of a feast given by Herod. If we read that, we see that whereas Herod's feast was a sumptuous, rich banquet in a fine hall with the elite of society, entertained by seductive dancing of girls, and ending in the cowardly ruler ordering the horrid beheading of a man of God. We see that, and then we see this, a simple meal of peasant cuisine served on the grass, a picnic to common folk by a compassionate shepherd king, a real king, Remember it said that, that they, were called, they called Herod a king, but he wasn't really a king. Here, this one who serves here is a real king. And he treats his guest to the words of life. That's the first thing. The second thing is that I, I love that he, and I think it's instructive for us, that Jesus involves his disciples in this. How many loaves do you have? Go and see. Take inventory. See what you have. Uh, he gave the, the bread and the fish to the disciples to set before the people. You serve them. And Jesus has the disciples gather up the leftovers. All of this meant to, to instruct and to train and to teach. He's teaching them as he's teaching us. Teaching them to trust him for provision. Allowing them to have a part in that provision. Letting them minister to the people even as he lets not just me, but you all to minister to one another. And I love that Christ graciously includes us all as he moves his kingdom forward in showing the love of Christ that he has for us to one another as we serve one another, as we serve the church, which is Christ's body. And I just pray that we are all as faithful as the disciples here show themselves to be and doing what God what Jesus calls them to do. A third thing from this text I think is the overabundance of the provision of God. Just the richness of what Jesus does. Verse 42 says that they all ate and and not just enough to to satiate their hunger, not just enough to hold them over until they leave and can go to town and get something real to eat. It says they all ate and were satisfied. The provision was fully sufficient. It doesn't run out. In fact, there's leftovers. It's often mentioned, and I think properly so, that as Mark mentions that there were 12 baskets full left over, that if you think about it, that's a basket for each of the Apostles that were there serving and learning. I can't think but that each one of them probably collected a basketful of the extras so that each one of them might learn this lesson about the richness of the provision of Christ. It could be that that was their dinner as well when it was over. Finally, At the end here, Mark puts an exclamation point on this miracle by telling us how many people were full, were filled with all of the leftover. He says, those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. And he says, 5,000 men. He writes, 5,000 men. Men is not a generic word. There's other words that are sometimes translated men, but that can refer to either men or women. This word means men. Only men. It doesn't include women. It doesn't include children who were also present. So they were not part of the 5,000. It was 5,000 men. Mark, or Matthew 14, 21 says 5,000 men besides women and children. And you know what? If there had been 50,000 there, if there had been 500,000 there, there would have still been leftovers because of the one who was serving because of the richness of the blessings and the grace of God. His grace is more than sufficient. It is super efficient. It is super abounding to us. Let us give thanks for that fact. So this is a great miracle. But I want to, in just a a few minutes here, spend a little time at the end. Now don't. I don't want to hear any zippers of Bibles because I said at the end. We talked about that. But I want to point out to you some of the connections, those connections that I mentioned at the beginning. First, look back at the statement real quick that that Mark makes in verse 34. It says, He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And here's one of those places that the readers who, who would have been familiar with the Old Testament a place where where the Old Testament record of God's dealing with his people comes to bear and informs the the events here, and I think that language there would have perked the ears up of those who had heard it. Let's turn in our Bibles, turn back to the book of Numbers. Way back there, Numbers chapter 27. Now while you're turning, remember the book of Numbers, we talked about this in our summer Sunday school, The book of Numbers records the wilderness wanderings of the people of God. And Moses is the God-appointed leader of God's people. He served, or he serves as their their prophet. He serves as their their priest. And even under under God, who was the king of the people, Moses served as a kind of co-regent, handling many of the functions of kings. He was the lawgiver. He was the protector. But even Moses, the man of God, the mediator of the Old Covenant, this one who, who God had sent, who God had used to bring the people out of Egypt, even Moses isn't perfect. And as the people in the wilderness, as they travel, as they test God's patience, we learn that they also test Moses' patience. To the point that, that one time when the people are, are grumbling, when they're crying out for water... And God shows compassion on them to give it, uh, to, to demonstrate his compassion. Moses gets all bent out of shape about, with the people. And when God, remember, you know the story, when God tells Moses to speak to the rock, at which point it would give them water, Moses instead, uh, with Aaron, give this speech and says, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? You faithless people, are we going to have to do this? And instead of speaking to the rock, remember what he does. He hits the rock with his staff. Well, God still gives water, but then he speaks to Moses and to Aaron, and he says, basically, because you misrepresented me and did not present me as holy before the people, you disobeyed me, you and Aaron will not be permitted to go into the promised land. You'll get to see it but you won't be allowed to go in with them. That's where we're at in Numbers chapter 27. At this point, Aaron has already died. Moses is about to do so. Uh, And down in verse 12, first we see this, that the Lord said to Moses, go up into this mountain of Abarim and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin when the congregation quarreled, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah of Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Stop there for a minute. Moses, then, God's prophet, God reminds him of what this is a result of. And then God's prophet The priest before the people, the mediator of the old covenant, prays to God that God would appoint his successor to lead the people. And in verse 15 we read this, Moses spoke to the Lord saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. He prays that God will send a successor who will be faithful, who will be a shepherd to the people so that the people will not be scattered, will not be wandering, that they will have a shepherd to them so that they will not be what Jesus observes that they are back in Mark chapter 6, sheep without a shepherd. And so God, Moses prays to God that he would appoint such a one. And you know that he does, right? And you can turn back to Mark. And we shouldn't miss something here, I think, that is not unintentional. The fact that the one God chooses to be that one who will lead the people into the promised land... His name is Joshua, whose name means Yahweh saves. And perhaps you are also familiar with the Greek version of the name Joshua. It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who comes to shepherd his people so that they will not be a people without a shepherd. And here, the shepherd stands before sheep, and has compassion on them. That's the first thing. A second thing I think to notice is seen in the actual feeding of the people. They're fed by God miraculously when there's no other supply of food or meager supplies. And where are they being fed? Where does this take place? Mark mentions it three times a desolate place. That means a desert, that means a wilderness. Is there any other instance where something like that has happened? God supernaturally feeds his people in the wilderness? We've seen that this idea of God meeting his people or going to the wilderness to be with his people is the traditional, um, often used place where God meets with his people and and reveals himself to his people and tests his people. So where has this happened? Well, if you said, when God fed his people in the wilderness supernaturally with bread from heaven, the manna with which he compassionately provided for their need, you're right. Again, a reminder of God's provision that is wound through this story as well. A third thing. I didn't take time to mention it here as we went through the story, really, but in verse 40 of Mark chapter 6, we read that they sat down in groups by hundreds and fifties. Just a brief mention here that that too is not just some thrown out number without any um, importance to it. It certainly had a logistic advantage when it came to serving the people, but Mark's readers would likely have seen and noticed a reference to the ordering of the people under Moses in the Old Testament into thousands and hundreds and fifties. That those that Moses appointed over them would be more effectively able to serve them in the day-to-day affairs of the people. So as under Moses in the wilderness, the people were broken into those in order to be served, the same thing is true here. One more thing. The careful reader will also see in the abundance of the provision of the food for the people. Perhaps you know this story. Uh, You'll see the echo of a story in 2 Kings chapter 4 where the prophet Elisha feeds a 100 men with 20 loaves of bread and some fresh grain. A similar type of thing. But I think what we see here is that here we see an escalation in the magnitude of the miracle as Jesus, God's prophet feeds many more people with far fewer resources so what do we see in all of this we see that Christ is like Moses but superior to Moses that Christ is superior to Elisha the prophets as the shepherd of God's people so beloved what we have here is more than just a miraculous feeding but a a point in the establishment of Christ as the new Moses and the church as the new Israel, the people of God, redeemed through the power of God. His judgment against hardened rebelliousness being deflected by the slaughter, as it was in the Old Testament, through the slaughter of a spotless lamb His blood staining the wood, causing the angel of death, the wrath of God, to pass over those over whom it is applied. And God's people then being led by a prophet like Moses but superior to Moses through the wilderness where God meets them and supplies their needs by grace. And through this new but better than Moses, mediator of the new covenant, we in the church as well are not sheep without a shepherd. But we are the flock of the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, who gathers his sheep through his voice whom his sheep hear and recognize. And he gathers his sheep and provides not only salvation, but sustenance as well. But if you remember back at the beginning of the, the message, I said that the elements of this passage look backwards, but they also look forwards. And Mark's readers would not have missed this, and I bet, if I bet, <laughs> if, I bet that you probably didn't miss this either, that something you thought something as you read this. As Jesus prepares to give this meal here in Mark 6 to those who have gathered, look at how Mark records it. Now, Matthew and Luke do the same thing, but look at verse 41. It says, In taking the five loaves and the two fish, she looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. Jesus takes the bread, he blesses the bread, he breaks the bread, and he gives the bread. The same things, the same actions, in the same order that he does when he institutes the Lord's Supper. The night before his crucifixion, as recorded, for instance, in, in Mark in chapter 14, which is another picture of, of Christ, the good shepherd, graciously and compassionately providing for the good of his people. And John, in his record of this, in the same chapter, he picks up on that and expands on it as he records Jesus' further teaching. In John 6, we read that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. His body broken. His blood poured out in an act of supreme provision for the eternal good of his people. And by the way, we know that the Lord's Supper itself points forward, doesn't it? To the great day of the consummation of the kingdom of God when we will all, by God's grace, by Christ's doing, we will all sit down. Not to a picnic on the ground in a desolate place, but to an eternal feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven, provided by the Lord forever. I want to end this morning by reading to you just a short passage from Ezekiel chapter 34. Listen as I read. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountain of Israel by the ravines and on all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak." And to that glorious news, let us say, Amen. Father, we thank you for Christ, who is our shepherd, the good shepherd. We thank you that he has laid down his life for us, and that he was raised from the dead for us, and that he is our leader. He is our shepherd. He is our guide. He is our feeder. And his provision is so glorious, inexhaustible. And it is a great blessing to be the sheep of his pasture. We thank you for the good shepherd. Amen.